past several weeks, we've been talking about vision. We've been talking about mission. Today, I want to speak to you on the topic of dreaming. In particular, I want to talk to you about a dream, a, 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 a man, a passion that God has placed in a man's heart. And, and I want us to see how that passion, how, how God placed a dream in a certain man's heart and how God has placed a dream in each one of our hearts and how we see that dream come to fruition. How can it become a reality? I want to look at this by looking at a dreamer, a dreamer found in the Old Testament. His name is Joseph. A young man who trusted God for great things, and he saw God do even greater things. Please stand in the honor of reading God's Word, Genesis chapter 37. Let's read about this man named Joseph. Beginning in verse number 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them. Speaking of his brothers, he brought a bad report of his brothers to their father. Now Israel, who was also Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his other brothers, they, they hated him and they could not speak peacefully to him. Verse 5 says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they, ha- they hated him even more. Father, as we look at this chapter and we look beyond these verses, Father, as we look at the dream of Joseph and then we begin to look at our own dreams, Father, speak to us, I ask, in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, please be seated. Has God given you a dream? Has God given you a great vision for your life? for your marriage, for your career, for your future? What do you want to be when you grow up? And that's a good question, not only for our students, but also for our senior adults. Some of our senior adults, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be? What do you want to do when you get out of school? What kind of person do you want, are you praying that God will have for you to marry? What are your hopes and dreams for your career? What are your hopes and dreams for your family? What are your hopes and dreams for your children? What do you pray that your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren will become? What dreams do you have as, as you retire and, and look forward to the rest of your life? You see, I believe that God has a dream, a plan for every person's life. And God wants to do something significant with each and every single one of us. Now, if we're going to keep our dreams alive, there's several things that we must do. First of all, in order to keep dreaming, we must understand our uniqueness. We must understand our uniqueness. As a young man, my great-grandmother, her name was Zella Wright. Miss Zella. Mamma Wright. And growing up, we would see my mamma. She lived several miles away from us, and as as we... Uh, would see her several times a month. I, I, I never forget it. Growing up, I was a young child. I was kind of a chubby kid. And, and every time I walked into her, her house, she would bend down and I could see Mamma Wright doing this every time. She bent down and she grabbed a hold of my cheeks and she would say, how is my little snowflake today? I never understood what she was referring to. Mamma, what in the world? And so, so as I grew older, I, I asked her, I said, Mamma, for so many years, you bent down, you pinched my cheeks. I get that, okay? I, I get that. I got chubby cheeks. What, but 
why do you call me a snowflake? <laughs> she said, oh, Wesley. I'll, I'll never forget this. She said, Wesley, because you're unique. She said, Wesley, God broke the mold when he created you. I didn't know how to take that either. I don't know if that was good or bad, but in the context, I think she was referring to it as a good thing. She, she said, God broke the mold when he created you, and one day you will do amazing things for God. You know, every child needs to hear that. Every person needs to hear that. Because it's so true. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing more special about me than anyone else. There's nothing special, more special about Joseph than anyone else. But the Bible says that God chose Joseph. His father chose Joseph. And, and he was unique. He was unique. I know so many people who were raised and they were told by, by parents or by grandparents, they were told by others that, that you'll never amount to anything. That you're garbage. That anything and everything you do and everything you touch will fail. Well, I'm here to tell you that if that's what you were told, that was wrong. That was wrong. God created you for a special purpose. You were not an accident. Instead, the Bible says that you were created and formed in the very image of eternal God. How cool is that? You weren't a mistake. You were not an accident. God created you for a special and with a special purpose and a unique purpose in mind. He placed dreams in your heart. And the way you see those dreams actualized is to understand you're unique. Now, uniqueness is not the same as saying, walking around with a chip on our shoulders saying, look at me, look at what I've done. No. You see, Joseph didn't do anything to be considered unique. God had his hand on him. God had his hand on him. And as Christians, as we'll see in just a few moments, as Christians, we are unique as well. We're a part of the royal family of God. Now understand, friend, that when you dream great dreams, when you dream great dreams with God, God will allow you to accomplish great things. That's what Joseph did. Joseph understood his uniqueness. Now this boy Joseph, he had quite a family. He had quite a heritage. His father Jacob, his, his grandfather Isaac, his great-grandfather Abraham. This man had a pretty cool lineage, a pretty cool family tree. Joseph was blessed by God. He was blessed by his father. His father gave him a coat of many colors. He wore it. He wore it with confidence. And his brothers hated that coat. They especially hated Joseph. When they saw Joseph coming, they, they hated it. You see, Joseph... <laughs> Joseph would see his brothers doing things they shouldn't have done, and he went and told their father, and so they thought he was a snitch. Joseph, I don't think Joseph was a snitch. I think that Joseph, Joseph was unique, and the hand of God was on Joseph so much that when he saw sin, he, he went and he shared it with his father. He, he told his father, you see, Joseph is, in the Old Testament, Joseph is a type of Christ. We, we find many types of Christ through the Old Testament, and, and Joseph is a picture of Jesus. So many things in his life that, that parallel the, the story of Jesus and, and speak to the story of, of Jesus. But Joseph, he, he, was, he would tell the evil deeds of, of his brothers to their father, and, and, and God's hand was upon this young man. Joseph, he was 17 years old, the Bible says. He was offended by, by the behavior of his brothers, and so he told their father what they were doing. He was unique. He was distinct. 
God's hand and God's favor was on him, which made Joseph unique. And listen, as we just said, if, if you're a child of God, if Jesus Christ lives in your heart and lives in your life, then as, as Joseph was given a coat of many colors that, that showed who his father was, as a Christian, you have been, you've been given a coat, a, a royal coat of nobility and in righteousness, a, a, a coat of righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are a favored son. You are a favored daughter. When God looks at you, he sees a child. So you see, as Christians, we are unique. We're a part of the family of God. Being born again, we're a part of the royal family of God. And if we belong to Jesus, the Bible says that, that we are joint heirs with Jesus. That means that what, what Jesus owns, we own. That what Jesus gets, we get. Now, we've not received it yet. But while we're joint heirs, an heir means it's something that you will receive. We haven't received it. We will receive, and we will receive when we step into heaven and we see that what God had created for all of us. We're a part of God's royal family. We bear and we wear the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible, that's why the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been separated. Uniquely separated and distinctively separated from the world. And we're called to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. And if you want to live and, and have great dreams, understand who you are in Christ. Understand your uniqueness in Christ. Now, there's a great deal of talk today about self-esteem. If you Google the word self-esteem, you're going to find millions upon millions upon millions of hits. Most of what you're going to find on self-esteem is psychobabble. That's what I call preposterous stuff, and, and it tells us that, that as we raise our kids, we should raise our kids, and our kids should, should never lose. They, they should always win. All that psychobabble. It's ridiculous. What was the word we used last week? Malarkey? Hogwash? There you go. So you don't want to miss a Sunday. We, we talked about the Greek word hogwash last week. You see, you never want to miss a Sunday. You never know what the preacher's going to say. But you see, what we find of self-esteem today is, is so much this cycle, but it's not biblical talk. Real self-esteem. You know where real self-esteem is discovered? Real self-esteem is discovered in the person of Jesus Christ, knowing who you are in Jesus, discovering your uniqueness and distinctive life in Christ. It's, it's not walking around. The Christian wife is, is not walking around just patting myself on the back saying, look at what I have done. We've not done anything to earn the grace of God. We've not done anything to earn the mercy of God. We've not done anything. But yet God has poured His blessing upon us. He said, you are unique. You are special. Now, if anyone could have had a, a poor loser's limp, it would have been Joseph. You know what a loser's limp is, don't you? In football, we see it often in football. A man is going for a block and he whiffs. And the guy runs right by him and he, he completely whiffs on the blocker. He whiffs on the tackle and he falls to the ground and he knows he messed up and, and he holds his leg and he gets up and he starts limping, a loser's limp. He's not hurt. His pride's hurt, but he's not hurt. <laughs> There's a lot of people, a lot of Christians limping through life. A lot of Christians who are blaming and excusing themselves because of, of a missed opportunity in life. 
a mischance of life. Perhaps it was a poor choice, a poor decision, and, and you whiffed on that one. And, and you're walking through life, and you're, you're limping through life. You've given up on your dream, and your, 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 your pride is hurt, your ego is hurt, and you're saying that there is no way that God could use me. Listen, if anyone could have blamed his family, that's what we do oftentimes, don't we? Well, I can't do that because of where I was born, because of who I was born to. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I don't know many people born with a silver spoon in their mouth, but I do know this. Those that were born with a silver spoon in their mouth have it just as hard as anybody else. They have just as many choices to make. Now, they may have more money and more opportunity, but listen, we're, we're all given opportunities with God. And so many times we find ourselves, and especially Christians, I, I see as we, we, we mess up or something happens in our past and Satan uses that past event and we limp through life. We, we, we just limp through it. It's a loser's limp. If anyone had opportunity to blame his family, it could have been Joseph, right? But you see, Joseph, he, he rose above all of that because he knew that God was greater than all that. God's grace is greater than any circumstance of life. That's pretty important. God's grace is greater than any circumstance in life. If you want to have a great dream, if you want to have a great dream, then then in your life, realize that in Christ, you and you alone are unique and special to Him. Stop blaming your past. Stop saying, I can't overcome this past event, or I, I can't do this because of that, or I can't do that because of this. Stop it. So many Christians limping down the field because you've messed up. One of the hardest things I've found, and I'm speaking out from experience, the hardest thing, it's easy to come to God and ask for forgiveness, isn't it? It's very easy to come to God and say, God, forgive me for my past failures. Your word says that if I confess my sin, you'll, you'll wipe the slate clean. And so, God, I confess. It's easy to come to God because the word of God says that we can do that. And we know that God will forgive our sin. But you know what's hard? It's not, it's not hard to ask God to forgive us, but what's hard is asking ourselves to forgive ourselves. That when we mess up and when we, when we make a royal mess of something or we do something or we whiff on a block or we, we do something in our life that, that causes pain or hardship or, or causes the pride to be hurt or causes the ego to be hurt, it's very hard to forgive ourselves. You know what? Life happens. Messing up happens. Dear Christian, if you miss everything I say today, do not miss this. Stop allowing your future to be defined by your past failures. Stop allowing your future to be defined by your past. If Jesus has saved you, let Jesus define your future, not your past failures. Did you catch that? As a Christian, as a believer in Christ, I don't have to let my past failures define who I am. No, instead, Jesus can be the one who defines who I am and who I'm going to be. We are unique in Jesus. Number one, understand your uniqueness. Number two, discover your dream. Discover your dream. So you have to discover your dream. God gave Joseph some unusual dreams, some dreams concerning his future. These dreams were prophetic. They were pivotal to biblical history. And these dreams that God gave to Joseph and 
as God gives dreams to us, I believe that God gives dreams to all of his children. Understand this, that God is not going to place a dream in your heart that is contrary to his word. God is not going to tell you to do something or be something that would coincide or neglect his word. So we have his word to follow and we allow uh, the dreams that God has placed on our heart to flow through his word. Here's a young man. He's not fantasizing. These dreams were placed in his heart by God. Portraits of his life. A, a young man with a dream. And I pray that all of us will have a great dream as to see what God will do with our life. The Bible says that dreams are not just for the young, but the dreams are also for the old. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires or the dreams of your heart. Do you have a dream? This past week, we remember Martin Luther King Jr., who was famous for saying, I have a dream. Here's a man who had a dream, a dream that was placed on the heart of, uh, on his heart by, by God himself. And, and he spoke and, and he moved and he moved this country into action. You see, one man who has a dream from God can do mighty things. But so often we find ourselves limping along. There's an absence of dreamers in the church today. There's an absence of dreamers in, in our culture today. The church, we, we don't talk about dreams anymore. So many churches are, are, are with, have no dream. Right? So many churches have no vision. And, and we see so many churches shutting their doors every single week across this nation. A church without a dream. Listen, a church without a vision is a church without a future. A Christian without a dream is a Christian with, with no hope. But the sole purpose of the Christian is one who has hope. First Peter chapter 1 says that we have a living hope. 60 years this coming November, a small group of people had a dream. A dream in their heart, and they planted a church in the Aloma community here in, in Winter Park. 60 years ago this November. And for these 60 years, we have seen this church grow and blossom and become uh, the bride of Christ here in this community, serving this community faithfully. But I do believe that the best is yet to come for Aloma Church. I believe that our future is bright. Our past was bright, but I believe that our future is even brighter. We have yet to see what God is will do through this church here at Aloma. Two years ago, we came together and we were challenged to commit to a seven-year vision that would take us into the year 2020 and beyond. We called it Aloma 2020, God's vision for our future. The first piece of this vision we shared early last year, around this time last year, and that was the building of the Boatwright Center. So many were committed to give and sacrificially given. And we have often said it's not equal gifts, but it's equal sacrifice. Last week in staff meeting, Ms. Wilma Bosenhart shared with me a story. A, a tear trickled down her face as she was recounting a story that happened a couple of weeks ago in the children's department. She said that she was uh, preparing the kids, uh, finishing up the lesson, and she saw uh, this child's parents come. They were coming a little bit early. They had some place they had to get to. And so she got the child, the little girl, she got her stuff ready to go. And she said that uh, she got everything. And so this little girl's hands were full of stuff. And she said she was walking out the door, and as she was walking out the door to go to her mom and dad, she stopped in the hall, 
And Miss Wilma said she turned around and she began to walk back to her. And she said with all her hands full of her coat and her Bible and her bags and all of this stuff, she stopped and she said that she stuck her hand in the middle of all of that stuff. And she said she could just see her little arm moving. She said she pulled her, her hand out and she came out with a little Ziploc bag. And in that Ziploc bag was a dollar bill and a lot of change. Little girl said, Miss Wilma, I almost forgot. I, I need to give my tithe today. Little child. She pulled out that dollar bill and she said, Here's the dollar bill and this is my tithe. And she pulled out four quarters. She picked out four quarters. Parents are standing there waiting and the girl's standing here with all this stuff and she picks out four quarters. She said, Now this is for the mission and the vision of the church. You see, it's not equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice. Children, all the way to senior adults, we've seen so many be faithful to this. This is a big dream. It's a grand dream. It's about sharing Jesus with this community. It's not about, it's not about building buildings, even though the buildings are a part of it. We need to continue to be faithful to give to Aloma 2020 to pay off this building. As I said a couple of weeks ago, if we continue to be faithful, this building will be paid off before we thought it would be. We must continue to be faithful. But you see, the vision goes above and beyond that. Our, our dream is to be able to walk out these doors and walk straight into a family building where we're, we would be able to minister to, to children across our community. Children with handicaps, children who, who aren't physically able to walk. Right now, we can't minister because of the limitations of our children's building. A, a family building that would be large enough to house our, our growing children's ministry, our growing preschool ministry. To, to see how Park, the building two of how Park, become a community center for this community. To see us put a low-income clinic in the bottom to, to service the needs of those who, who can't afford and can't pay for health care in this community. To put a pregnancy center in that building. You realize that the largest abortion clinic in Orlando is just a few miles from here in Maitland. How neat would it be that we could, we could stop all of this, we could stop these and help stop these abortions by having a pregnancy center right here on our campus? It's so much that the vision is so big and so great and so grand and we, we believe that this was given to us by God. And of course, that is just the, the physical, the, the spiritual sense that Aloma 2020 has. Of, of developing a quiet time, of, of memorizing Scripture. This is the year of Scripture memory. And so we're all memorizing Scripture together. To get there, though, we have to, everyone, have, to have everyone coming together. And the seat back in front of you is an envelope, Oloma 2020. If you have come after our initial offering to this back last March, if you have joined the church, and many of you have, and you're not a part of this vision, if you've not come in and you don't have skin in the game, I challenge you simply to do this. Take this envelope home, pray over it, and ask, what can I do to contribute to the vision and the mission of this church? You know, many of us think that the people who dream are the esoterics, the, the writers, the inventors, the artists, the composers. But if you're a Christian, God wants you to dream great dreams for Him. You say, well, Preacher, we've been talking about dreams. What, what do you mean by dreams? Let me give you a definition for a dream. A dream is simply this. God-given ability to see what God wants to do with your life. 
and then you dedicate yourself to that dream. That's what a dream is. It's a God-given ability to, to see what God wants to do with your life and then to dedicate your life to do it. That's the kind of dream we're talking about. To discover it and then to implement it. Never stop dreaming. You see, when you begin to stop dreaming, the day you stop dreaming is the day you start to die on the inside. Many will try to discourage your dream. Many people will try to destroy your dream. It happened to Joseph. Joseph's brothers hated him because he dreamed. When they saw him coming, they said, here comes that dreamer. The Bible says, we just read it, they, they couldn't even say a kind word to him. His own father, if we continue to read the story, his own father rebuked him for his dreams. But Joseph, kept, he kept dreaming. He shared his dreams with others. And he was hated for his dreams. If you're taking notes, I want to give you a way. As you see, dreamers are, dreamers are criticized. If you dream, you will be criticized. If you share your dream, you will be criticized. I want to give you three ways that you can never be criticized in life. You ready? You got your pen out. If you don't have a pen, get lipstick, mascara, get, get something and write it. Cause here's three ways. And this is, this is fail proof. This is foolproof. Three ways. If you don't want to be criticized in life, do these three things. You ready? Here they are. Here they are. Say nothing. Do nothing. Be nothing. If you say nothing and you do nothing and you are nothing, You'll never be criticized. You know why? Because you're not, you are not a threat to Satan. If you're not saying anything and you're not doing anything and you're not being Christ, you're not a threat to Satan. Satan is not going to worry about you. But as soon as you step in and you start dreaming a great dream, you start sharing people that, that God has placed this on my heart, that God, I believe, is going to do this in my life. You begin to start talking that way and, and believing that way and, and living that way. You watch out because Satan is going to oppose you with everything he has. And that leads us into the third point. If we're going to understand and see our dreams realized, we must anticipate adversity. We must anticipate adversity. There are no easy roads to seeing our dream fulfilled. Life can be difficult. Life can be demanding. But we must anticipate adversity. Joseph had dreams. He dreamed great dreams and his brothers hated him. Ultimately, his brothers, if you know the story, his brothers tried to have him killed. They stripped him of his coat of many colors. They, they threw him into the bottom of, of a well and they left him there to die. They then decided that, that they uh, would make a little money off this. They said, well, instead of letting him die there in the bottom of the well, why don't we sell him into slavery? So they sold him as a slave and they sent him off to Egypt. Later, Joseph was rising up in the ranks and he got connected with a, a, a very important man, the Pharaoh of Egypt. His boss's wife tried to sleep with him. His character would not be, be thwarted. His character was to stay the same. She attempted to seduce him, but he was faithful and pure. But then she turned around and accused him of rape, and he was thrown into jail. He was forgotten in prison. Can you imagine what this young boy was feeling? Seventeen years old. 
He was 17 years old, abandoned by his family, left to die, sold into slavery, accused of rape, accused of something he did not do, rising in the ranks, thinking, finally, God is about to, to fulfill this dream that is on my, that he has placed in my heart. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's back in prison again. 17 years old. When I was 17, I was learning how to tie a tie. That's what I was doing at 17. Joseph was experiencing all of this at such an early age. And of course, we have the luxury of sitting on the other side of the story. We know this is a success story, a, a rags to riches story. He, he, he went from the pit to the palace, ultimately became the prime minister of Egypt. But when this young man was sold into slavery, he rode off in the desert. Can you imagine what was going on in his heart? Can you imagine there in the darkness of those dungeons in Egypt how he must have felt? How could, how could his dream stay alive? How was it his dream stayed alive? There's a key phrase that appears over and over again in the story of Joseph. It's found actually in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2. If you want to turn there, you can see it. This is found over and over and over again. Genesis 39 verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. It says this over and over again. When he was in that pit, the Lord was with him. When he was sold into slavery, the Lord was with him. When he was accused of, of rape, the Lord was with him. When he was thrown back in prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Even when his dreams turned into nightmares, the Lord was with him. Don't miss this. Adversity. Adversity can actually help you advance in achieving your dreams. We don't like that, but it's so true. Adversity can often help us in advancing and achieving our dreams. It strengthens us. It toughens our soul, our, our spirit, our character. This is what James writes, right? In James 1.12, he, he says, Blessed is the man who endures trials, for when he has stood the test, he shall receive the crown of life. When you hit bottom, when you're blindsided by life, some situation or some circumstance knocks you off your feet, don't you give up. Don't you quit. Don't you start limping and having that loser's limp through life, saying, all of this is against me. But simply say, Lord, this is your moment. This is my moment. And despite all that is happening, I trust in you. Christian, listen up. It's not my job to understand why. It's not my job to understand the why of adversities. Look at Job. Go back and read the story of Job. And, and I, I often say that when adversity comes, when, when circumstances come, when storms come, when a spouse dies, when a sibling dies, when, when we get a, 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 a word that it's cancer from the doctor, when, when, when those storms of life come and so many other storms, when we lose our job, when we lose our finances, when, when things aren't working the way we thought they would work, when, when the dreams are teetering on dying... When, when, when these things are beginning to happen, it's at that point we, we try to start limping, but we, we start asking why. Why did this happen? And we can get so consumed with that question of why. And let me say this. Let me say this. If God could somehow audibly speak to us and say that your spouse died because of this, is that really going to help you? It's not going to bring him or her back. It's not going to bring your job back. It's not going to make the cancer go away. 
The answer to why is a fruitless endeavor. But you see, that's what we begin to go. When we go into adversity, we begin to ask that question, why, why, why? When actually we should remember, not be asking the question why, but we should be remembering who. Who is there with us? Who is there guiding us? Who is there at all the time the Lord is with us? There's a statistic that they keep in the NFL, and if you're not a football fan, I'm sorry, I love football, so I I use a lot of football illustrations. There's a statistic that they keep in the NFL. It's actually a relatively new statistic. It's called the YAC, the YAC. It can can mean two different things, but the one I want to talk about here today is not the yards after catch, but the yards after contact. Yards after contact. So many great running backs through the history of football. My favorite running back of all time, Walter Payton. Chicago Bears, 1985 Super Bowl. You know, you got the the Super Bowl shuffle and Walter Payton, the fridge pair. You got all these guys. You know what made Walter Payton so great? It's the same thing that made Barry Sanders great, Emmitt Smith great, all these great running backs. They weren't these little, frail, 110-pound running backs that we see in the NFL today. That when when a strong wind blows, they, they just fall down. You know, they're just trying to get a yard. No... You know what the difference is between a running back and a great running back? It's the yard after contact. You see, in order to have a, 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 a great running back, you've got to have a man of size, right? You've got to have a guy who's, who's strong that, that when, a, when a hit comes, he keeps on going. That one little hit's not going to knock him down. It's the yard after contact. It's, it's what separates a, a, a running back from a great running back. You know what separates a Christian from a great Christian? yards after contact. We've already talked about our enemy. And let me tell you, if you say nothing, do nothing, and you are nothing, you're not on his radar. He's not going to blitz you. He's not coming after you. But listen, if you have a game plan, if you have a vision, if you have a dream in your heart and you are fulfilling that dream and you are praying and you're in the word of God, he sees you as a threat and he is going to blitz you. That means he's going to come after you. For those of you who don't know football lingo, he's going to come after you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take you down. He wants to strip you of everything. Take away that dream. Take away that vision. Take away that passion. He wants to pull it all away. He's going to contact you. You're going to feel the enemy hit you. You're going to have storms of life that come and they're going to hit you. Sometimes they come from the back. Sometimes they come from the side. Sometimes they come from places you don't even expect them to come from. We get contacted in life. Life is a contact sport. The only way not to get contacted in life is to simply be nothing, do nothing, and say nothing. But that's not a possibility for the Christian. We cannot but say something, do something, and be something because of who lives in us. And Christian, listen, don't be fearful of the contact. Contact comes. My coach would tell me, he said, Wesley, if your jersey is as clean at the end of the game as it was when you started the game, you didn't play hard enough. Christian, if you're jersey isn't torn, if you haven't experienced bruises, pain in life, when you come to the end of your life, you didn't live your life to the fullest. Because you see through life, if you live your life the way God wants you to live your life, when you dream great dreams, when you have these great visions and you begin to do these things for God, you will be contacted. 
you will experience. Now, some of us will start doing this. We'll start limping. The loser's limp. Some of us will say, you know what? I give up. I give up. I I don't like the contact. I don't like the feeling. I, I don't like, I don't like when all of this bad stuff happens. But you know, to keep the dream of life, to keep the dream alive, to keep those yards after contact going, we must know the providence and the plan of God. Providence. That's a word that we don't hear very often, do we? We don't use that word providence very often in our vocabulary, but it's a word that every Christian should know. It's a Greek word. We get it from the word in Greek, pro-video. The word video is actually a Greek word. Pro-video. It means to see beforehand. Video to see, pro-beforehand. So providence literally means that God sees beforehand. And the story of Joseph, and listen, the story of every believer, every follower, every child of God, is the story of God's providence. That our life is not simply left to dumb luck or blind chance of circumstance but rather through every single situation, even when contact is coming, the Christian is led by the invisible hand of God, the providence of God, that God saw all of this beforehand. He knows what's going to happen. And God is working through the struggles and every season of life to work all things together for good. If you've ever been contacted in life as a Christian, I can guarantee you I can turn in your Bible and I can turn to a particular passage. It's found in Romans, Romans chapter 8, particularly verse 28. And a lot of Christians who have been hurt in life, beat up in life, if you turn in their Bible to Romans 8, 28, you're going to see that verse underlined. Perhaps that, that, that page in, in their Bible is wrinkled up because of the tears that they have shed over this page that simply says, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose. I want you to turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to close with this. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19 is the end of the story. Joseph is now a powerful man in Egypt, God's man in Egypt. His brothers have come to Egypt for food and Joseph saves his family. But there, his brothers who hated him who sold him into slavery, are now standing before him, hungry, starving. They took him, they took his coat, they stripped him of his coat, but they couldn't strip him of his character. And so Joseph, his, his character intact, stands before them. They suppose he's about to take him out. That's what a normal person would do, right? Cut him off of their legs. If you want food, you're going to become my slaves. But notice what he said in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19. He said, but Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am, for am I in the place of God? As for you, verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's Romans 8.28 in technicolor in the Old Testament right there. That God is working in the life of his children. That what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God, no doubt, used the pit and and used the prison to remove pride from this young man's life. And in the same way that God used the circumstances and the pain and the hardships in the life of Joseph to, to mold him and to remove bad things and to mold him and to shape him, God does the same thing for us. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In these things you rejoice, but now for a time you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though refined by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We go through the pits of fire. We go through the pain in order to bring honor and glory to Jesus. We have a lot of Christians today. A lot of Christians today who give up too soon on their dream. Give up too soon. Over the years, I've seen it. As a pastor, I've seen many people give up their dream. They quit serving God because someone hurt their feelings. Because someone looked at them the wrong way in church. God said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I have for you. Thoughts not to harm you, but thoughts to give you a future. Plan to give you a hope and a future. Someone once said that you can tell the size of a Christian by what it takes to stop him. What stops you? I pray that nothing stops you. Because you know providentially, personally, God is is working in your life. Don't let Satan steal your dream. Don't let Satan rip out the vision that God has placed on your heart.